Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hackett has the ball. Trojans in transition. Penrose is alone. They get it to Penrose for the three. Welcome to Believe in USC Basketball, everybody. My name is Aiden Berg, and today I am joined by my co-host, Christopher Penrose. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm awesome. I've seen some of the, some of the reactions that you had to the previous games. We're going to get into all of the, all the stuff from that, uh, that very busy slate that USC Basketball just had uh, playing three games since our last podcast. But uh, just first, a quick check-in. USC is currently ranked number 17 in the nation, 18-4 and four overall. Uh, and with a 13 and three record in conference. And this is something that we're going to get into at the end of our show. Uh, but UCLA is at 12 and three in conference. So it's really between those two for the regular season championship in the Pac 12 and could very easily and, and will likely be decided by that final game. But we will get to that at the end of the show. First, I want to get into recapping the recent games. And uh, first, uh, you know, we don't have to spend a whole ton of time on this, but. Uh, USC did defeat Arizona State last Wednesday, 89 to 71 at home. And I think that the main takeaway, I guess I would, I would have from this is that the Mobleys played maybe their best game that they've played together. They combined for 42, 21 and nine with uh, seven steals slash blocks. So that's steals and blocks combined. Um, so Chris, was that kind of your main takeaway from that game and the synergy that those two guys played with together, which is obvious because, you know, they grew up playing together. Yeah, this the Super Mobley brothers, right? Like exactly. <laughs> like this was this was their game to to really shine together. And uh, you know, the first half was really a back and forth half. Um, you know, Remy Martin really came out firing. That was one of the things that we were a little nervous about is if, you know, Remy Martin came out uh hot, which he did, that would pose a bit of an issue. And we saw that in the first half. SC was only up two and they gave up probably you know, if not the most points, the second most points that they've given up in it in the first half all year. Uh, they gave up 44 points in the first half. And that was a little concerning. But the one kind of trend that we've seen all year with this team is SC is a second half team. And we really saw that in the second half as they really dominated defensively. Uh, the Mobley brothers were great on both ends of the court. Um, I thought uh, they, you know, SC did a great job with Arizona State's bench. I mean, I know that they were missing two of those freshmen, uh, but, but you know, Arizona State only had eight points off the bench compared to uh, 18 for USC. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I thought, I thought the bench performed well for the Trojans. Uh, you know, if you can, if Remy Martin's going to get 30 points and hit four threes and you still win by double digits, almost 20 points, like that, that's a pretty darn good game, in my opinion. Yeah, and it was also classic 2020-2021 USC in that they shot nearly as well from the field and from three as they did from the free throw line. <laughs> I guess the, the three-point, yeah. not, not so much, but when they were in the mid-50s in both of those and uh, 60% at the free throw line. So uh, it, was, it was one of those games that they've had this season where they kind of overcame those issues at the free throw line and it, it, and it didn't have particular significance on how the game ended up playing out. I don't know if I would say exactly the same for, for the loss at, uh, to Arizona on Saturday, um, 81 to 72 at the Galen Center. And certainly I think that Arizona's, 
advantage at the three-point line and from the line uh, certainly made a, a huge deal in, in them winning that game. Yeah, you know, all the things that have been concerning about this team that we've talked about all year really came to light in that Arizona game. Yeah. Uh, you know, the free throw shooting was not good at all. They were 13 of 22 from the free throw line, and at least three of those were front ends of one-of-ones. Uh, they shot poorly from the three-point line. They ended up shooting seven of 20, but, you know, a couple of those threes were late in the game, and they were just kind of desperation. Um, but the the real thing that concerned me was uh, Arizona on the offensive boards. They really pushed around SC's big guys, and they got a lot of second-chance points off that. And in the second half, SC was able to cut it to three, cut it to four a couple times. You thought they were going to get on a run. And then, you know, they would give up a wide open three to Arizona or they would get, you know, offensive rebound, put back and one. It just, the second half, it almost seemed like, like SC, they just didn't quite have the energy that we have seen from them in the second half. Um, and, and to be honest, I thought that the strength, uh, of Arizona was really on display, especially from our big guys. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, we had a really good, uh, win streak going, it had to end at some time. Um, and you know, you'd almost prefer that it happens against, you know, a good team like Arizona, uh, where you can refocus and regroup and then prepare for, you know, a quick turnaround against Oregon. Yeah, for sure. And they they certainly did that you know, through the first, I don't know, half or even 30 minutes. I think that that Oregon game on Monday night was USC's best performance of the season. When you consider they jump out to a 15 to zero run, Taj Edie is making three three pointers in the first two minutes. And also when you consider how good Oregon has been this season, they've been one of the teams along with USC and UCLA, Colorado, kind of on the periphery, uh, you know, later in the season, who has been you know, at the top of the Pac-12 and, and a contender for the conference championship. And USC, there, there was no part of that game where anyone thought that Oregon was going to be the better team, right? Even, you know, going on that on a little bit of a run that they did to, to, to chop the lead down a little bit uh, towards the second part of the game. I don't think anyone watching that game had any, you know, question about who the better team was. I agree, but I, I'd be lying to you, Aiden, if I said I wasn't nervous when they cut it to 10. <laughs> Um, That's fair. (laughs) I'd be lying to you. I I got pretty nervous, Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that first half, uh, you know, offensively, SC, I thought was was good. It wasn't their best offensive half, but it was good. It was the best defensive half of basketball I think I've seen from an Andy Enfield coach team. And and when you consider this this turnaround that, remember, they were supposed to play Stanford. All of a sudden, they, they're playing Oregon, and they have like basically a day and a half to prepare for a team that, that they did not think that they might even see uh, you know, this year, except for in the tournament. Um, That's how we prepared on this podcast, right? We, we, we were prepared <laughs> yeah. for Stanford, and, and you know, I, I don't think that USC's coaching staff uh, listens to our podcast necessarily, but uh, if, if they did, they wouldn't have gleaned anything from for, for the Oregon game, right? <laughs> I know exactly. You know that it it's pretty amazing. And Enfield even said it after after the Oregon game. He was like, "Hey, you know, all things considered, we basically had a day and a half to prepare for these guys. And if you watch them defensively, if you watch the rotations from the ball screens, it was they they had energy. They were flying around out there, and you know they had a couple different ways that they were working ball screens. So. 
you know, when, when Chris Duarte was, was getting a ball screen, they would do what I would call red the ball screen where they would push him out. The guy who is covering the guy setting the screen would kind of push Duarte out as he's coming over. So mm-hmm. he can't turn the corner. And then there were other guys uh, that would get a ball screen and which they would white it, which is just kind of go under it. And they would force that guy to try to make a three. They wouldn't let him drive. So, you know, mentally, I thought they were extremely well-prepared knowing the scouting report, knowing how they were flying around defensively. That was, I was very, very impressed. In the second half, I was a little concerned offensively that they played a little too much not to lose instead of playing to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they got a lot of offensive rebounds. Uh, you know, Drew Peterson in the second half, he's had a tough last, you know, five or six games. I thought he played very, very well. I was very impressed with him towards the end of the game. Um, but it's also kind of interesting, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have Isaiah Mobley. Um, and I've heard that, you know, he had a bit of a calf sprain against Arizona. He should be totally fine for this upcoming week. He went through all the pregame warmups and everything and looked just fine. So he should, he should be good to go. Um, but you know, without Isaiah Mobley, this was one of the, um, kind of like shorter lineups that Enfield has had, you know, we didn't see Noah Bowman, which was kind of a surprise. Um, and they, they really played just like seven maybe eight guys um it it, it was kind of interesting i thought we'd probably see a little bit more of of some of the younger guys uh especially with that lead uh but we didn't i mean bobacar got in which was it's always you know he's a fan favorite but he got in for the last 10 seconds of the first half and gave up basically almost a tip dunk at the buzzer but you know i was kind of surprised that it was a bit of a shorter lineup for enfield when i thought that he might be able to play a couple more guys yeah, maybe maybe he was he was with you and uh, in, in being a little bit nervous when Oregon did get, end up getting it down to ten there. Um, <laughs> I yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying, and it's not only the number of guys in the lineup that was shorter, but also the lineups that you're putting out there because you lose Isaiah Moby, who's like six ten, six eleven, and uh, this is something that I, I mentioned on Twitter. But Isaiah White got to play a lot at the four. I thought, and I, I thought mm-hmm. that that really that really energized him. And I feel like that's probably his most natural position, uh, given that you know he's not a great shooter, uh, but he can use his athleticism and his strength and his intensity to uh, you know kind of like win those matchups with with bigger guys and use his speed against them. And you know I saw him just kind of all over the place. He had a really nice chase down block that I was really impressed with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I kind of like saw it coming as it was happening. You know, like basically at like half court, I thought, okay, Isaiah's going to go get this block. And and then he went and did it. And that's, that's, you know, impressive. That's legitimate stuff from him. And, you know, c- certainly, you know, hoping to have Isaiah Mobley back there, a better team with him, uh, with him in there for sure. And, uh, but I-, I wonder if Enfield is going to look at that and say, Hey, maybe we can try to see if we can get some minutes for Isaiah White at, at the four even though, you know, the two Mobleys and, and Chavez Goodwin, usually two of them, uh, two of those three are out there at one time. Do you think that that's something that Enfield might look to try to do? I would think so, and especially in transition. I mean, you saw a couple times, you know, SC would get a turnover or a big run out, and Oregon would contest the layup, and Isaiah White was there in transition to clean it up exactly. uh, and make a layup or, or get fouled and go to the line. And it's because he was at the four, like you said, outrunning the bigger guys that are covering him. Uh, and so I, I totally agree with you. Um, and that block was fantastic. But I will say, 
You know, and Henry Bibby used to say this all the time. Hey, if you're going to make a bad pass and turn the ball over like that, you better get the block or get, yeah. <laughs> get the turnover back on the other end. So, uh, but he did his job, you know, he, he made a mistake and then he corrected it. Uh, and it was a great block. Like you said, his body control without fouling, jumping up and pinning that against the board was, was fantastic. Yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to just go back to Drew Peterson, who you mentioned, 15, 11, and 4 on 50, 50% shooting. And he came off the bench. Uh, and mm-hmm. that was kind of like a you know, thing that he talked about after the game is, uh, you know, he just wasn't playing particularly well. And uh, that was a move that they ended up making, put Ethan Anderson in the starting lineup, uh, along with Chavez Goodwin in place of Isaiah Mobley. So it was certainly a different starting lineup that we were looking at. But I thought... I've, I've always thought that Drew plays his best when he's just trying to do everything, right? And that's what we saw from him mm-hmm. yesterday. He, you know, he'll have those games where he gets into double-digit rebounds, and he's you know, a big, tall guy, long arms, uh, good athlete. So he, he can really get on the glass. And, and when he's doing that and he's you know, facilitating other people and you know, taking his, picking his spots and shooting and being aggressive as a scorer within the flow of the offense – I feel like that's what he's really at his best and, and he can be, you know, kind of like a, a do it all kind of guy for, for this team. Is that, is, do you think that that, you know, maybe had something to do with, with the struggles that he had? Was he maybe putting too much pressure on himself to be a scorer or anything like that? Maybe. I mean, it's interesting, you know, he didn't start, but he's played 36 minutes. Right. Yeah. And I think anybody would say, you know, I'll give up a starting position if I can play 36 minutes of the game. Right. And I thought he was fantastic when Oregon was pressing. I mean, Oregon, from, as soon as they went down 15 points in the, in the first, you know, 10 minutes of the game, they pressed the remainder of the game. And I thought he was really good in that because he was, he's tall, right? He's tall and he's long and he's able to get the ball in the middle uh, and he's able to to visually see the court a lot better than when Tajidi or Ethan Anderson's getting trapped in the corner. And he made some great cross-court passes to get guys open for open layups and runouts and uh, get guys at the free throw line, stuff like that. I thought he was a, a pivotal part in breaking that press uh, early. Um, and, you know, it, maybe maybe he was putting a little too much pressure on himself. Maybe having him come off the bench mentally will help him a little bit more because he's a very important piece of this team. And if he plays well, if he gets 15, 11, I don't think SC's losing any games to be honest. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I very much agree with you there when he's playing very well, they are a very, very tough team to beat and, and very much worthy of, you know, the four seed, five seed kind of uh, level of respect that they are getting, uh, you know, at this point in the season, anyway, it took a little while to get there, but uh, that's yeah. that's where they're at right now. I, I want to jump into the upcoming games because it's a, as we always say, a crucial stretch for USC basketball coming up. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it, it really hinges on this next game on Thursday. Uh, for anyone listening to this, that'll be tonight at 6 p.m. at Colorado, who is 17 and seven overall and 11 and six in the Pac-12. And I think the first thing that I want to ask you about, Chris, is Colorado is very much i think a home team right it, it, it makes sense yeah. it would be given altitude eight and one at home this season versus six and six on the road and they haven't lost to any they've only lost to utah at home right who is who also knows uh, you know how to deal with that elevation factor not quite as much but they're they're certainly coming at it from a better viewpoint than usc is which plays right down by the ocean right so uh, you know, what kind of factor do you think that that will play in this game? And do you think that it could, do you think that it could end up being a deciding factor? 
You know, it, I feel like the last few times SC's gone up there, they play really well in the first half, and they play really well for the first 10 minutes of the second half, and then I think that altitude kind of creeps in and affects them a little bit, especially yeah. when you play against a Colorado team that's physical. You know, it's not I, – I would much prefer if Colorado was an up-and-down type of team instead of uh, a banging-down-low kind of team because, in my opinion, that takes a lot more of a toll on your body than getting up and down the court. I mean, these kids are 18, 19, 20 years old. Their legs are just fine. They can fly up and down the court all you want. Uh, but when you have a big guy kind of pounding you the whole time, that's when you start to get really tired and your body wears down. And, you know, Colorado is in fourth place, uh, and they have a lot to play for, right? They're playing for a first-round bye in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they have a lot to play for. Um, and this isn't just a, you know, oh, you know, or, we're, we're, we're going to make it the Pac-12 tournament and we'll see what happens. You know, they still are considered a on-the-bubble uh, NCAA tournament team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is very important for them. They can get two quad one wins against USC and UCLA at home. Um, so, you know, McKinley Wright, who in my opinion is, you know, the best point guard in the country right now, um, you know, he, he's going to have a lot to say. This is his last home trip, I believe, at Colorado. Um, and so he's going to come out just firing on all cylinders. Um, and, you know, SC is going to have to bang with big guys. And that's one thing that Tad Boyle always kind of says. He's like, if there's one team we're going to be really physical with, it's going to be SC. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that the first time they played. I mean, SC just kind of wilted and Colorado was in control of that game the entire game. Um, so uh, there definitely needs to be some adjustments. I think SC is a better team now than they were when, when they played Colorado in the Galen center uh, a few months ago. Uh, but this is a big one for both teams. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that that previous game really followed the blueprint of what the ideal Colorado team is. And that, and that you mentioned is McKinley Wright scored 19 and Colorado played really great defense. USC only shot yep. 38% from the field in that game, only scored 62 points and lost by 10. So, and that, and that happened at the Galen Center, which is where Colorado is, or, you know, not at home. So Colorado was supposedly supposed to not be on their game for that. But I thought, yeah, what you said about the physicality, um, that, that has been something that at times this season has, has gotten to USC. I think that game was a good example. The close game at Cal was another good example. And maybe mm-hmm. Cal kind of played themselves out of it because of how intense and, and physical that they were playing. But it, it, was, it was still giving UIC a lot of issues at, at points during that game, right? So I think that the game plan for Colorado is pretty simple. It's just, you know, try to follow what we did before. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a really tough game when, when you look at it from, from that perspective because Colorado is a great defensive team, not just against USC in that game, but for the season. They only allow 63 points per game, 41% shooting, 32.5% mm-hmm. from three. So this is going to have to be – a real grinded out kind of game, no matter, no matter which way you look at it. And I guess USC has also been a defense oriented team throughout this season, but they also have had their struggles in, in games where both teams are, are, are at that lower scoring margin. I feel like USC uh, has had these games where they're great on defense and great on offense, and they just win by like 20 or something. But when it gets into Mm -hmm. those games where it's just lower scoring, scoring overall, they don't have, the playmakers, I guess, and, and just the offensive, you know, spark, I guess I would say to just come up with the absolute crucial plays that you do need to have. Right. Exactly. So that, that'll be, that'll be a very tough game. Uh, and 
I, I guess I, the one question uh, left that I have from that would be, obviously, we said McKinley Wright is the guy for them, 14.5 points per game, over five assists per game. Is there someone else from the Buffaloes that you kind of look out for and say, this is, this is kind of like the guy that USC really needs to stop because it's going to be tough uh, to stop McKinley Wright? So two guys. So Evan Batty, I just feel like he always plays well against SC. And it's because he's physical. He gets a lot of rebounds. I feel like he gets a lot of and ones. Um, you know, and, and I think if if one of the Mobleys is on him, they could be in for a long night. I think we're going to have to see Chavez Goodwin uh, and even even Isaiah White on, on him a little bit more just because they're a little bit more physical um, mm-hmm. and hopefully they won't foul as much. And then from the, the perimeter, Deshaun Schwartz, feel like he always gets hot against the Trojans as well. Um, you know, with McKinley Wright coming off ball screens, hitting Schwartz for open threes. If he gets hot, that's another issue that I could definitely see. Um, they're really going to have to recover on shooters, um, not let them drive off pump fakes, stay down, uh, contest all shots. And hopefully if they can control those two guys too, they should be in a good spot. Yeah, and I, I guess I would just say this is a gut check game for for USC, right? It's not they're not coming off a loss. I guess it, it's their second straight gut check game because that Oregon game was coming off a loss. But you know, to to have to go into the the house of, of the of the team that you know kind of pushed you around earlier in the season in your arena, um, and, and you know probably get into a very physical and low scoring game with them is is going to be you know kind of like a, a test of their. Uh, of their will and their their mental fortitude so looking forward to seeing how that plays out let's jump over to the Saturday game at Utah at 5 p.m. Uh, Utah is another team that's better at home but not certainly on the same level as the as Colorado overall nine and ten record six and nine in conference but they are six and three at home so uh, you know the previous game was a 64 to 46 win for USC at the Galen Center on January 2nd. So that was a few, a few days after the, the Colorado game. But um, I, I think when you look back at that, it wasn't great offensive performance for USC. That was the game where Evan Mobley didn't have a field goal attempt and only stored on free throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the defense was really amazing. It held Utah to 28% shooting, 13.6% from three, nine blocks for, for USC and only one Utah player scored in double digits. So, you know, do you see this game kind of playing out in a similar manner? Or do you think that these two offenses might get, you know, might get going a little bit more? I mean, the thing was, is they did a great job on Timmy Allen and Alfonso Plummer. I mean, if you remember Alfonso Plummer uh, a couple of days before that game at USC went off against UCLA and Utah mm-hmm. almost beat the Bruins uh, at Poly Pavilion and he was unconscious, could not miss. Um, but SC really guarded the perimeter well. I think, they could definitely do that again. Um, it, it really starts with those two guys. I mean, Timmy Allen, we all know what he is. He's a great scorer, uh, has a good mid-range game, can drive. Uh, not the best three-point shooter, although he can make a couple, but he really wants to get the ball in the mid-post, uh, kind of work off the block, uh, and hit kind of like a you know a 10 to 15-footer. He's a great scorer. Um, and Alfonso Plummer is just going to kind of float around the three-point line. He has deep, deep range. Uh, and he's going to try to get up as many threes as he can. I mean, he's he shot 125 threes this year. Like that's that's yeah. a, that's a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. um, and and you know, the, it's the old saying, right? Defense travels. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get your offense going sometimes when you play at altitude. And you know, I believe Utah is at a higher altitude than Colorado. Mm. Um, 
and, and, you know, sometimes your legs are going to get a little tired on the offensive end. Uh, but, but you can always play great defense. And as long as the Trojans do that, limit Utah to one shot and out, rebound the ball defensively, uh, I think they're going to be just fine. You know, Utah's on a three-game losing streak. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're going to get a low seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, and, you know, I, we kind of said this about the two games last week, and it didn't happen, but, you know, I think their confidence, Utah's confidence is down. And if SC can come out and, you know, really lock down on defense and get out to an early lead, I, I think they could kind of run away with this one. Yeah, agreed. And, and the thing that I have written down in my notes is this just needs to be a we're better than you game for USC, right? Yeah. They very clearly are. Yeah. So much more talent than Utah. Um, but the other reason why I say that, you know, kind of the downside of that is Utah isn't particularly like great at anything. If you like look through their stats, all of their, you know, differentials are like either like a little bit positive or a little bit negative, but no, there's no area of the game where they're like particularly good, but there's also no area of the game where they're particularly bad. I guess I would say they're Mm -hmm. not, you know, like a great offensive team, but they do have Timmy Allen and Alfonso Plummer, like you said, to, to kind of lead that, that aspect of it. And so you know, the one thing that I kind of saw was, you know, just a clear interior advantage just because USC has Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley and Chavez Goodwin. But it, it's kind of difficult to plan for those teams where they don't I, – I don't know if I, I, if I would say that Utah doesn't have an identity, but they don't have anything that you can key, on, key in on and say, this is something that we need to stop from them and this is something that we can exploit. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they can still be dangerous. Like, let's let's not get it twisted. I mean, yeah. if these guys hang around and it's a three, four, five point game with five minutes to go, their confidence is, is going to be juiced. They're going to be at home and they're, you know, they're going to see that they could be the, you know, a highly ranked team uh, in their place. So you can't let this team hang around. Like you said, this has to be a we're better than you. We're going to take it to you and we're going to win by 15, 20 points at the game. Yeah, for sure. Very much agreed on that. Before we go, I did want to ask about uh, looking forward to kind of like the end of the season, I guess I would say. And it, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, it is basically at this point USC versus UCLA for the conference, assuming that neither team goes on like a big losing streak here to end of the season. And uh, I just wanted, you know, do like a check in with where both those teams are. So like I said, USC is 13 and three in conference. UCLA is 12 and three. After this road trip, USC hosts Stanford next Wednesday, and then they play at UCLA on Saturday, March 6th, whereas uh, UCLA still has to play the Utah-Colorado trip as well. They just flip you know, who, who they're playing, so they start with Utah and then play Colorado. And then they play at Oregon next Wednesday. Um, so I would say UCLA certainly has the tougher remaining schedule, and you, you have to play a road game at Oregon as opposed to uh, USC hosting Stanford. I would say that UCLA comes out on the shorter end of that. But, you know, I, I want to ask, given so few games and how close the race is, do you think that that Crosstown showdown is going to be the game that determines the winner of the Pac-12 regular season? I sure hope so, because that would be just fantastic, not only for the conference, but for Los Angeles basketball in general. Um, I mean, I, I don't think you could have hoped for, you know, a better situation if you're, you know, a basketball fan in Southern California than, you know, the Pac-12 regular season championship coming down to USC versus UCLA. 
um, at Poly Pavilion, which is like the mecca of college basketball. So uh, it's very exciting. I really hope it does. Um, I don't want these teams to look forward to that game. There are still very, very good opponents that they have to play prior to that. Um, and you know, the, the mountain road trip is, is one of the toughest road trips and you're playing at altitude. Both those teams are, you know, really good physical, uh, teams, very well coached and, uh, you know, they have to take care of business there. And then, you know, I, I agree with you that, you know, SC getting Stanford at home, uh, I'm much happier about that than, than I would be having to go, uh, up to Eugene and play Oregon, uh, uh up there, but you know, I, I, if both these teams can be, you know, two and one over the next three games, then I think that it will come down to uh, the USC UCLA game for the Pac-12 championship. And let's have let, let's all cross our fingers because that would just be so exciting. Man, the the energy on on USC and UCLA Twitter would just be unreal for that. We've had some some fun games between <laughs> between these two teams you know, recently some important games that, uh, that Aaron holiday came a few years ago, certainly springs to mind for, for me, but yeah. then, you, know, you have Jonah Matthews making a, making a buzzer beater last year. So, you know, I, I think that if it does come down to that, we are getting another instant classic for sure. Uh, especially if, Absolutely. if it, if it does come down to this game is for, is for the PAC 12 regular season, because those guys are going to be even more hyped than, than they normally are for this game. So very much yeah. looking forward to that. I'm with you. I'm crossing my fingers for that. But it is going to do it for today's show. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else that podcasts exist. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Fight on. Fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.